Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris, and uh, I have with me today Robert Oscar Lopez, uh, who, um, Robert, are you, are you still a professor technically at Southwestern, or did that end? Uh, well, I, I think the letter that I received uh, terminated me as of the end of the year, but uh, maybe interceding events have caused them to <laughs> cut it off earlier because it looks like I'm locked out of my email and all of my accounts there. So Okay, it sounds like you're not, an, you're not employed there. You're going to draw uh, a final paycheck and then that's it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm gone, I'm gone. <laughs> former uh, professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, Texas. And, um, and uh, who, who's your son uh, since he's on the camera there? He, <laughs> What's this, his name? This is Dane. This is Dane. Hey, um, Dane. Nice yeah, to see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he loves being in the middle of the action, and I'm looking forward to spending more time with him. Yeah, we were, we were talking for a minute before uh, starting the record, and as soon as I pressed record, your son ran in, uh, Dane. There, so it's, he's cute, though. I'm glad uh, glad he's uh, keeping you company. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about what's going on uh, at Southwestern in regards yeah. to uh, your situation a little bit, and um, I have listened now to two recordings of meetings. Uh, that, uh, frankly, they're shocking. Um, there's transcripts uh, available, and you can go to the info section on this video. You can find the recordings. You can find the transcripts. And more importantly, you can find uh, an article uh, that we've put together uh, at Enemies Within the Church that um, describes this whole situation and interprets it for you, uh, complete with sections from the transcripts. But um, people don't know what I'm talking about yet, but we're going to get into that a little bit. So the long and short of it, from what I can understand, is that, and this is like my 30-second like, <laughs> summation, you for a long time have been sharing your testimony, how God saved you out of a homosexual lifestyle. You don't believe there's an innate, fixed orientation. You, you believe that people can change, and you've spread that message. And uh, you've been tapped many times by conservative publications, especially to talk on this issue, and you kept doing it. You kept writing about it. And Southwestern, um, after the new administration took over, said, we can't have this. Please you know, stop. You need to get approval. Uh, you tried to work with them, and I heard that very clearly in the meetings. And you eventually mm -hmm. came to the conviction, I cannot uh, be barred from sharing my testimony and what Christ has done uh, in my life. And this is an important issue. And, um, and you were told that you are a bad guy at the ERLC, and that's a problem. You can't be uh, saying the things that you're saying at Southwestern uh, while supposedly, I guess, representing them as a school. Um, if, uh, if you're running into conflict with the ERLC on your positions uh, here uh, through the articles you've written on homosexuality, uh, you've been told uh, to uh, stop making comments on Facebook, I guess, or there were troubling comments that you were called in the office for, which I'd, I'd like to hear what those were. Um, it sounds like they tried to censor you, and then when they figured they couldn't, they fired you, and it seems that simple. And the statement that was put out by uh, Stinson, I think his name is at Southwestern, about this does not add up. It, it seems, honestly, and I hate to say this about someone who's a professing believer, but it's a lie. It is an outright lie. When I, when I look at these transcripts, and I hear these recordings, and I see these emails, what they're saying about you is absolutely untrue, and it is provable and you can go to the links uh, in this info section uh, to, uh, to show that. So, um, Robert, I'm a little upset about this, and uh, you seem like you're in a better spirit than me, and I don't know why that is. Maybe you just, you're tired and you're done with it, but I'd like to hear from you. Um, uh, you know, what, what's going on? Is my assessment accurate? 
Well, you know, there's a part of me that just wants to, to be very careful. Uh, so I'll, I think you are right. Uh, but the, I would say that they couched everything very carefully so that uh, they tried to give themselves wiggle room. So it, wasn't, it didn't look like they were really censoring me. Uh, they were just asking me to run things by uh, the media communications office. And then upon my questions and after many meetings, it became clear that they wanted to say, you can say certain things and you can't say other things. And the items that came under controversy, that is to say the public statements and public writings that were subject to their objections and which they tried to steer me away from were all things that dealt with the LGBT issue. So uh, I think the official story that came from Southwestern, which was that homosexuality had nothing to do with my dismissal, uh, I just don't know how you can twist around the, the record in terms of what they said at the meetings, what they gave me in writing, what they told me in person. It, it does seem to be that uh, they wanted me to get away from my testimony. They wanted me to get, get away from this subject matter. And when I told them at a certain point that God had called me to my work and I could not abandon that for the sake of hanging on to my job. Yes, they did basically ask me to resign. And then when I wouldn't resign, uh, they terminated me. And now they, they're claiming that the termination was because of uh, a change in programming needs in the college. And that seems not to add up because usually if you have a change in curriculum, those things are known to people with a lot more lead time than I was given. Uh, the only time that I heard that my position was eliminated because of program needs was when on November 29th, you know, a week ago, which is after classes had already ended and, you know, my job is over in a month, basically at Christmas time. So uh, I think um, it is very troubling what happened. And I think one of the reasons why I'm in better spirits than you is because I lived through at least, I would say, nine months of this uh, intense experience of, of working under people who say one thing and they're doing another and they live in behind a veil of obscurity. And they, not just in my case, but in the way that they run the seminary, they do seem to, they rule with an iron fist. You know, the first thing that Adam Greenway did when he came in was he fired 25, 26 professors in one day. So that created an entirely different climate on campus relative to what I had experienced prior to his coming to Southwestern. Uh, people were all scared of their jobs. And so there was a general feeling of distrust and uneasiness and they certainly did not work to tamp that down. They were calling people in, in a lot of these fashions where, I don't know if you got a sense of that when you looked at the record of the emails and the audio tapes of the meetings, but they would often call you into meetings and you, you didn't know who was gonna be in the room, you didn't know what it was about. They would set up meetings at a time that you knew people usually got fired at. So they'll say, you have to come on Thursday at 4 p.m. and you know that's when people usually get fired. So it's just a climate of fear and yeah. intimidation. And um, it, it, I think ultimately what is scary is that these are tactics that are worse than what I saw in secular liberal academia. 
Yeah, it, it seemed like I was listening to something that would have come from uh, HR department at a secular job or secular um, academic yeah. institution. Uh, yeah, our busy mm -hmm. um, Here's the expectation of the administration. They don't want that attention coming here. But it's something that uh, probably they're not going to want that kind of mm -hmm. attention, that kind of involvement from you. I would not want to see a situation where um, you force them to fire you. I happen to be around uh, some folks from the ERLC where your reputation is not good uh, there uh, with those folks. So now there's a growing concern of mine in terms of a failure to relate constructively to another major entity of, of the SBC. Uh, when you work at Southwestern Seminary, uh, you're not an independent actor. Uh, everything that you do uh, represents this school in one way or another. Their approval process. There are multiple factors that go into what might be acceptable or unacceptable. And I, I'd like to know what that rubric is. Well, there's not, I didn't say there was a rubric. There are multiple factors okay. that we would consider. Then, who the audience is, the venue, what's being said, how is it being said, if it is going to be uh, received poorly by the entity. It's the honest truth. You know what? Are we, uh, are, okay, I'm, there are ways to say things. There are ways to do it. It just are you just putting out the truth, unvarnished truth everywhere you go? Or are yeah. there ways to have conversations? Pardon? You can make any decision. I'm prepared to make No, I'm asking you, you mm -hmm. ought to be a man of integrity to mm -hmm. make your own decision. I've made my you, decision. Would, I've made my decision. And you know what? I resent you implying that I don't have integrity. I'm I, I'm not implying okay. it. Uh-huh. I'm I'm saying it. Yeah. On the 19th, you met with Dean Stinson and you brought two pastors with you and he gives you a hard time for that uh, in the audio file that I listened to, which I thought was interesting because you mentioned in the same transcript that you had requested information about the meeting, like who was going to be there, what it was about, and he didn't respond to you. And so there's no specifics. You get to the meeting and it's like a cat and mouse game for the next hour in which he does not give you any, uh, not, not even verbal let alone written uh, instructions, no rubric as far as how you could comply with whatever this supposed policy is. It doesn't sound like there's any policy. So how do you know? I mean, it could, is a Facebook post uh, that's personal outside, you know, does that have to be approved by the, the school? I mean, there, there are no specifics. And that's one of the things that concerned me about this. So, I mean, was there anything other than, I mean, um, just a verbal, you need to get approval from us uh, with all of your communication? Um, yeah, well, one of the hard but, things is I don't really have access to all of the other faculties, uh, personnel files, or their experiences, obviously. So I, he, they claim that they put the same rules on everyone. So I would have no way of really confirming that. But it does not seem to me likely that everybody was asked to submit the level of scrutiny to their work as, as I was being asked to. He, he drew a distinction in that meeting between academic work, which he said did not need to be pre-approved, uh, and other kinds of commentary that did need to be pre-approved. Now, the, the thing about it is that when I do work on uh, LGBT, on sexuality, a lot of that is peer-reviewed academic work, but he's not counting it that way. So 
the, their definitions are slippery. There are not clear guidelines. And, and the end result, when you add it all up, is that there are certain subject areas that they are allowed carte blanche to regulate. And one of those would be LGBT because they just don't count that as academic work even though that's an area of major theological discussion. And a seminary needs to talk about it. That's one of the things that I try to bring up in that meeting when I brought the two pastors is that, you know, those pastors can attest to how much work I do in the ministries in churches. The issue of LGBT is ripping apart the churches. Absolutely. And it's, it's tearing apart the pastoral landscape. And, uh, but that's not counted as serious intellectual work as if I were, you know, writing a, a, a biography, let's say, of Martin Luther. That would count as more academic. And so I would have more freedom to write about that. But on th something like LGBT, it, it's so heavily scrutinized. Now, the other thing is, at one point we asked him for a rubric. He did not want to give us a rubric as to what would be the likely reasons that I would be told that I shouldn't publish something or I should publish it. And um, I, I think what bothered me about that was the fact that I hadn't really written anything that went against the Baptist faith and message or that was against the gospel. I mean, nothing at all. It all uh, so it was not clear to me why, um, you know, some of the things were objectionable. And, uh, and especially given all of the things that the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is doing. I mean, they're having conferences on sex abuse. I was writing a lot on sex abuse, but I was writing on same-sex sex abuse and sex abuse that happens in the gay community. And for some reason that is, every time I wrote anything on that, that raised a lot of red flags. Yeah, it's interesting to me, uh, the, the double standard here. I mean, does Malcolm Yarnell need to go uh, to the administration every time he puts a tweet out there on social justice or something? Because he puts a lot of tweets out there. Um, I mean, or, or is it just you that when you write something that has to do with this spe specific issue, uh, you have to get that approved? And um, it, 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 it sounds like there's no actual policy. There's, they don't actually tell you what kinds of communication uh, mm -hmm. are what what mediums and then the, as far as the content they don't really give you any instructions other than you just need to abide by our moving standard that we don't define i mean that's frustrating and well yeah I mean, what would happen is they would be building up a track record of you being a problem employee because they would give you a one rule and then they would call you in as if you violated the rule that they had given you but that wasn't the rule that they gave you so the perfect example is when i met with them in june i, I met with the provost in june what they said was that we had to pass all of our media requests to Colby Adams because of the Paige Patterson lawsuit that was underway uh, on the seminary. Now, uh, from what I understood, nothing that I did had anything to do with the Paige Patterson lawsuit. Uh, but they said, well, uh, it doesn't matter. You still have to submit any media requests. That means if somebody contacts you and says, I'm a reporter and I want to interview you, that's what I understand media requests as. Right. Um, so I tried to go along with that. They took objection because at one point somebody contacted me from the Christian Union and I answered the reporter and I copied uh, Colby Adams so that the reporter and the chief of staff at Southwestern saw each other's names on it. They said that was inappropriate because that puts too much pressure on the chief of staff. So they said, instead, you should do it in separate emails. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Um, but then the next thing that happened was I submitted an essay to be published at American Thinker. And so I sent that to the editor at American Thinker. I waited for him to get back. And then in a separate email, I emailed the chief of staff and they said that that was wrong 
because I needed to then submit that essay, that idea, to the chief of staff before I sent it to an editor. And that's the point where I said, nowhere at any point did you tell me that everything that I said, including my testimony, was subject to their prior approval. Yeah. I mean, that was just standard. That was so expansive. And I think the reason why there was no written standard is because I don't think that most institutions of higher learning would want to be caught with that as a written policy. It would probably run them afoul of accreditation guidelines. That's what it like sounds that. like to me. And I, I mean, I've been through in many academic institutions and I don't recall ever hearing anything remotely close to this kind of policy, which is really a non-policy uh, where you have to get everything approved. I mean, professors typically um, do interviews and, and have their own blogs that get sometimes populated on other websites. And I, mm -hmm. it, it, you're in a unique case, in, in my experience, at least. And, and I know you've been around the block a little bit. Have you ever had trouble like this before? Well, at Cal State Northridge, there were gestures or innuendos, uh, but generally, no. I mean, you couldn't have, uh, you would never be called in by the provost or by a dean at Cal State Northridge and told uh, that you have to have your commentary pre-screened by an administrator. Um, that's, I would have never seen that. This is the first place where that was even suggested, let alone enforced. Um, you know, and that's the thing is that this was enforced. I mean, I mean, it was, I was called in for meeting after meeting. And then, you know, finally, th there was one meeting where I just said, like, I can't agree to meet with you because you haven't addressed any of the problems I've raised with the prior meetings about nothing being in writing. None of this has to do with my job description of teaching research or service. It has nothing to do with his responsibilities as a provost. Uh, his demeanor very often was aggressive and threatening and, yeah, you know, insulting. Yeah, and so, it, you know, it, so, and then at that point, then they get you for not being willing to come into a meeting after I had already gone to seven meetings. Um, so it, 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 it's a really a runaround game. I don't know. I can't know what their motives are, but it seems to me that the most plausible explanation is that they were looking for a reason to run certain people off, and I was on the top of that list. Uh, mm -hmm. He brought up the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, so yeah, it three looks times. like that was on his Three times. Oh, you saw that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I listened to the whole thing. He brought up the ERLC by name, I think, twice, and by re he referenced it another time. So there are three times that he referenced them, and it was right out of the gate. Uh, he's saying to you that, we, well, we can't have someone uh, who's making waves with the ERLC. That creates a problem here. And I'm like, what? Well, well, and how I, in know, the well, and it's, it's, I see it as somewhat of a conflict of interest because his relationship to me is, or his relationship was that he was a provost and I was a professor. So it was yeah. not the case that, um, you know, he should be advancing the interests of his role as a research fellow at the ERLC. He is a research fellow at the ERLC, but that, that should not be the, what he's calling me in and using his position as a provost for. A provost is supposed to be overseeing academics. Yeah. Well, Robert, I, I just want you to know, I respect you. Um, I know I've been praying for you and I'm sure many others are going to be praying for you now is I'm sure you're going to be looking for work in the, in the months ahead. And uh, there's a lot of men uh, teaching at these seminaries. And I, and I, I know some of them personally who um, are, are in similar situations, but uh, they want to keep their jobs. And, and you were bold enough and um, brave enough to take a stand here. And uh, I just want to thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I know it honors the Lord. Um, you know, your testimony is powerful. Uh, we don't, 
we don't hear the kinds of things coming from uh, Revoice or Living Out or the ERLC that we should uh, in regards to the issue of LGBTQ. And you, I think, have the, the life-giving, soul-changing message of the gospel that, and the example because you were saved out of this and you can show people in that community in a gentle, loving way uh, what the love of Christ can do for them and uh, not just save their souls from eternal separation from God, which is, of course, the main thing, but also from a, a lifestyle of death. And um, so I just want yeah. you, you to know I appreciate you and, uh, and, and I, I, I hope you don't stop putting that message out there that Christ can change lives and, and, uh, and well, no you know, what the ERLC <laughs> says. It's interesting because uh, I, I tried to get away from it earlier this year. I pulled out of conferences and I, I, I didn't want to, cause I've been at this for a while and this just keeps on happening over and over again. And, you know, I, I wanted to get away from it. And I just think that God, if he calls you to something, you have to go where he calls you because every time I tried to get away from it, you know, I would be pulled back in and it's almost, it's almost God's grace by saying like, look, if you had completely cut ties to all these people and all these ministries who had asked for your help and just decided that you were going to write peer reviewed articles about church history, you know, or about, um, you know, John Locke uh, for the rest of your time studying um, that I probably would have felt an emptiness inside, or at least I think God would have done the Jonah punishment <laughs> on me. Um, and, you, you know, you're so, God more than men. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, I came from California and I did come from California thinking that uh, God had brought me here. And I just don't think that God brought me here to shrink in fear from Southern Baptists. Um, and I wish that more people in the Southern Baptist Convention would break with this culture. I, I don't even think it always has to do with right and left, liberal or conservative. I think there's just a culture of going along to get along the old boys network. It's a corrupt culture um, th that keeps everybody in line um, and, and people really distort the gospel. They think that discretion is a biblical value. They think that secrecy is a biblical value. They think that uh, popularity or ingratiation with the people at the top is a biblical value. These are not biblical values, John. No. At all. I mean, these are values that go contrary to the light and the salt that we're supposed to bring uh, to the world with the gospel. So uh, I, I hope that maybe if there's one or two people out there who could see my story and just think to themselves, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to report to your cave in a Southern Baptist institution and keep your head down year after year, clinging to something that ultimately is, is not really what God intended for you. Robert, I want to ask you one uh, final question. Um, I've heard that when Paige Patterson uh, was taken out for lack of a better term and Greenway was put in uh, the faculty or at least most of them had to sign NDAs and uh, you uh, someone told me did not sign an NDA and you may I don't know if you're the only one or one of the few um, uh -huh. your resolution though to the Southern Baptist Convention was specifically on <laughs> NDAs yes and, um, I just wanted you to comment for a moment on that because I'm wondering if that also plays into this at all. Well, I, 
it is a very good possibility that that was the beginning of the end. I, I, I submitted a resolution that wasn't really on LGBT necessarily. It was on abuse, sex abuse, but also other kinds of misconduct. And the, the resolution was on whistleblowers and trying to clean up the culture of corruption in the SBC so that informants can come forward and bring problems to the public without four different things that I mentioned, one of which was the 11th commandment, one of which was retaliation, one of which were gentlemen's agreements, which I think are also very problematic, and then the non-disclosure agreements. And I did mention that in there. Uh, that resolution got killed, uh, and I was taken out to lunch uh, by the provost, and it was clear that he, he was not happy with the fact that I had submitted that resolution. So that may have started the bad blood, because that was back in May. I don't know how many people sign non-disclosure agreements because obviously part, one of the conditions is that they, they can't tell you right. whether they signed them. Um, I did not sign one and um, I obviously paid a huge price because I am being cut off with no pay, you know, on, on virtually no notice whatsoever. But I do feel that God gave me that freedom. So I, it would be a waste for me to stay quiet about things given the fact that I didn't sign one of those. I think non-disclosure agreements are a huge part of the sex abuse crisis. They're a huge part of a lot of the abuse and misconduct in the Southern Baptist Convention, and we should not have them. They're totally contrary to Christian faith. No Christian organization should have people sign those because you're using the unbelieving world's legal institutions Absolutely. to threaten and intimidate Christian brothers and sisters. And I know of people, not just at Southwestern, but other places, who are good Christians who signed those things because they were worried about their family and putting food on the table, or they had children with health insurance needs that were unique and quite onerous. And so they had to sign those. And it's just so wrong because they're, they're very conflicted. The people I know who do sign them, they, they feel that they need to show integrity to the fact that they signed those agreements, but those agreements are really inappropriate in the, in the first place. And so it, it opens up that question of when we read Romans 13, when we read 1 Peter, uh, you know, when we read a lot of those passages in the Bible that talk about obeying the existing authorities, does that mean that we should obey everyone who happens to be in a position of authority, even someone who got there through ill-begotten means or who uh, is not a good leader, you know? Uh, so that's a question that we all have to wrestle with because there are other parts of the Bible that tell us that we have to be wary of wolves in sheep's clothing. We have to protect the flock from the wolves. We shouldn't be hirelings. Um, so it, it, it's a tough question, but I do think that that's a big part of where we're at in the Southern Baptist Convention. I tend to feel from day to day that we're losing so many churches and so many people not always because of politics, a lot of times because of this kind of corruption, the retaliation is awful. The, the fact that there are powerful people who will make a phone call to your church or to you, like you're seeing that with Naples, right? Um, you know, who will, who will make these phone calls behind the scenes and ruin your life because of a petty vendetta. And they're doing it all inside of what they say is Christ's house. It yep. shouldn't be happening. You I should not I have gentlemen. I wish yeah. I could say you're the only one I knew who uh, had suffered from one of those phone calls, but uh, uh, you're not. Um, you're, <laughs> oh, but yeah. you're, you're willing to talk about, uh, about some of this corruption. And for that, you have my respect. And uh, I think the respect of probably a great majority, uh, once they find out of the pew sitters in the Southern Baptist Convention, who probably don't know what's actually going on in the institutions uh, like right. Southwestern. But uh, 
Uh, Robert, I'm going to let you go. And uh, I know, you know, you've, you've been through a lot and I hope you just have a great weekend with your family, a great Christmas season. And, um, and, and next year I'll be praying for you that you hit the ground running and uh, looking forward to seeing how the Lord uses you in your next phase of life. Thank you. So, God bless you. Yeah. God bless you too. I'll talk to you later. Bye now. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.